0: This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. It's the Larry Hardesty Show. Larry, I don't know if I'm good enough with words
1: to accurately describe how different it is with Aaron Rodgers on the team. I mean, players are giddy. We talked to Lakin Tomlinson the other day. He's up there at the podium, and at one point someone asked him, you seem like you're in a little bit of awe of him, and he kind of chuckled and He goes, well, yeah, you know? And so that's Lakin Tomlinson, who's like a, you know, a real down-to-earth, you know, very mellow guy and i mean he's just had an enormous impact in the the meeting rooms on the field in the trainer's room in the press room everywhere he's had a
0: tremendous impact this is the larry hardesty show yeah i think it's going to be a zach wilson preseason on 98.7 espn
2: that's what samini bring you up to date on what's going on at one jets drive oh aaron Rodgers has made quite an impact down there oh and listen that's part of the reason you brought him in right it's part of it it's part of the reason because he's a guy that's won a championship nobody else' is <laughs> nobody else there' plays a guy you know knows what that is especially from the quarterback position so yeah but once again really we can agree to this all this is off the field chatter we'll really find out when the games are played that's when we'll find out We'll see what, because all that doesn't mean anything if they get on the field and they don't produce. Doesn't mean a thing. What he's done, the role he's had, and the how the the building, his feeling around the building, all that, all that stuff. That's preseason stuff. That's that's conversation that you have. That's what you expect in theory. That's what happens on paper. But what counts is what happens on the field. 1-800-919-3776. Back to the phones we go. Let's head to Rockland City. That's where Jeff is hanging out, listening to 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Larry. How you doing? Good. What's going on? Not much. Thanks for having
1: me on. Um, Just two quick comments. Um, um, One, love the show. Avid listener, and it's my third time on, so I appreciate the love. Um, Appreciate you. But I will, yep. um, What I wanted to just make a comment on is whether or not it's advantageous for the Jets to have a harder schedule at the beginning or the end. And I kind of differ from your take, mm-hmm. whereas I feel like going towards the end of the season and having more challenging games kind of prepares you for what you're going to face in the playoffs and deep into the playoffs. So kind of sharpening your, uh, your sword, if you will, as you're kind of getting ready for the postseason, I think there's an advantage there. All, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I also think you can look at it in, you know, from that direction as well.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, you know, just a quick, another quick comment, Yep. I'm a you know New Yorker but I'm a Dolphins fan and I just wanna say, you know, as great as the um feeling is here in New York for Aaron Rodgers, it's warranted, you know, Hall of Fame career, you know, the guy speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. But let's not sleep on those Dolphins. On paper, I'd argue that, um on paper, I'd argue they'd have a better team. They had a little bit more success last year, and I think, you know, the Jets can't overlook that team, especially if they if they have to face the Dolphins going into Miami at the end of the year to uh, get into the playoffs. So Just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. And, again, thank you for having me on and appreciate you and love the show.
2: All right, well, thanks for the call. Thanks for your thoughts. And they will. They face Miami on the 17th in Miami. And there's no question Miami is – nobody's sleeping on Miami. Miami has a fabulous team. The only thing that's really holding Miami back is the the concern about their quarterback situation. I mean, if, if you're going to say right now, that tour is going to be able to give you, I'll say, even 14 games. Okay? 14 games. Um, you'll sign for that right now. You'll take that right now. If he's only going to sit out, maybe one, miss one or two games, and I can play most of the season, you'll be ecstatic. A sick right in your pocket. Right, exactly. Gordon would love it. Gordon would be jumping up and down. But that's, that's the big concern that you have about them. Okay, can he, you know, can he continue to be able to stay on the field? That's what you say about Tua. There's no question. Look, from from a from a receiver standpoint, I mean, you know, <laughs> Tyreek Hill, give me a break. They've got a pair of great receivers. They've got a very good tight end. They've got great running backs. Their defense, their secondary is is up there with some of the top secondaries in the league. No, Miami is a very talented team. Very talented. So this, that's why there are some who are saying that the AFC East it could be one of the toughest divisions, if not the toughest division in the NFL because of what Miami has done to improve their team. And they still may get Dalvin Cook because they're right in the running for him to add to their running game. Uh, the Jets, as you mentioned with Aaron Rodgers and hoping, hoping that players that showed you something continue to grow. All right, Buffalo has been the class of the division, okay, for the past three, four years. And nobody is – we we picked Belichick in New England last, but would we be surprised if Belichick doesn't finagle something and move up and get better and find a way to have improvement and find a way to do something with his team? Absolutely. So this division is not, not a division to sleep on. It's not going to be easy. And yet, you can look at it the same way as what you're saying. It does sharpen you up, but eventually it's really it gives you time. If you're the Jets with the schedule being front heavy, it gives you time with a new quarterback to build so that you are consistent and beginning to execute where you go into the end of the season. But, I mean, the end of the season is easier, but once again, Miami is a divisional game. That's going to be Good. And New England going into the, at, at the the last game of the season in January 7th at New England, pff, the way Belichick hates the jets. Give me, give me a break, <laughs> but no, it is clearly, clearly a tougher schedule for the jets at the beginning of the season. than the end of the season. 1-800-919-3776. Uh, Erickson Queens. What's up, E? Hey, what's going
4: on, Larry? I'm good. Thank you. Um, I had, a, I had a quick uh, comparison with when you're talking about uh, Julius Randle. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, I know he doesn't have the same pedigree, you know, championship pedigree. But for me, uh, being a Knicks fan and a Giants fan, mm-hmm. I got a lot of the same feel from Eli Manning when he was here. A lot of people would, you know, a lot of Giants fans that I know didn't like Eli. Too many turnovers, too many, you know... Uh, meltdowns not great in the regular season, you know, not a a lot of uh, besides the two championship years and not a lot of great years. But if I told you, if you were a Jet fan or a Browns fan, and I told you, hey, I'm going to give you a guy that's going to throw for 50,000 yards and, you know, win you two Super Bowls and two Super Bowl MVPs, you sign up for that guy. If I tell you Eli Manning, then you get a face. You know, Uh I don't know. I don't like Eli Manning. I feel like it's the same with Randall. You know, I give you a guy that's going to give you 25 and 10 every night. He's going to come out and, you know, play hard. Oh, I'll sign up for that guy right away. But then when I tell you it's Julius Randle, oh, I don't know. I don't like that guy. I don't like the way he plays. So I feel like the numbers, if you look at the numbers of the guy, you know, in New York, it's it's kind of tough if they don't fit your mold. If you look at the numbers of the guy, oh, yeah, I like those numbers. I like what that guy brings to the table. Even Mello got a lot of that.
5: Uh-huh.
4: You know, and yeah. then but then when it comes to the guy himself, Oh no, I don't like that guy. But you like the guy that gives you twenty five and ten. But because it's Julius Randle, oh, I don't like that guy. I feel it's like there's a lot of that. You know? Yeah,
2: I'm- I hear what you're saying, Eric. That's an interesting point. Thanks for the phone call. I think the big difference is, and I understand what you're saying. I understand where you're going. But the big difference is, I mean, Eli won. Okay, and even and even in years where they didn't go to the Super Bowl, they were, they, you know, yeah, he had some off years, okay? But for the most part, he was a winner. For the most part, he produced. For the most part, he gave you, even in postseason. And see, that's where it hurts for Randall, okay? And that's where I think fans would be more amenable and take it easier on him. But in the postseason now, and once again, In this postseason, he didn't produce. You didn't get the 25 and 10 in the postseason. You didn't get... What do you see in the postseason, Eric? You see players elevate their game. When the the bright lights are shining, I always say, that's when when teams and players make their mark. It it, it builds their reputation. It builds what you think of them. It, It elevates their status in the sport. Okay? And... The first year for him against Atlanta, I don't have to go back to you. It wasn't good. This year, yeah, okay. Compromised because of the ankle. I get it. But he just wasn't, he just didn't give you what you expected from him. And so now what's happened to him is he's got a reputation of really good regular season player, 25 and 10. But postseason, I don't know what I'm getting from him. And so... He'll need that ex he'll need a postseason where he breaks out to really build back the fans trust in him. So I think that's where there's a major difference. Uh plus Eli, you know, was was he was just he he was he was a he was a consistent guy even in the postseason. Okay, they may have not have gone deep in the postseason, but he was he was just a consistent guy. People were comparing him. People people disrespected him because the Giants' defense was so good, and when they beat New England those two times, it was oh, it's that NASCAR package of you know Strahan and and, and company that really you know that really you, uh, you know human' uh, and Company; those were the guys that really did it. It wasn't really Eli, but you know you got to score too, okay. And for me, it's, it's really hard to compare them. I get your, I get what you're trying to do, but Eli, Eli's got rings, man. When you got rings, it's a totally different situation. It's a totally different situation. Even if you get to the Super Bowl and lose, it's totally different, okay. It just is, because I could argue with you that without Brunson, I mean, I don't know, I don't know, without without Jalen Brunson, okay, who also played injured, and the acquisition of Josh Hart, I don't know that the Knicks get to the second round of the postseason this year, even with Julius Randle on the team. I don't know. Even, 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 even at 25 and 10, I don't know. 1-800-919-3776. More calls next on 98.7 ESPN.
0: This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN.
2: 1-800-919-3776. Taking your phone calls on a variety of subjects. Let's head back to the calls and talk to Tommy in Connecticut. What's up, Tommy?
6: Larry, good afternoon, bud. How you doing, man? I'm good. So I got got two quick, uh, just kind of lighthearted Yankee uh, points, but I... I just wanna say, doesn't uh, doesn't this outfield that we're running out there right now kinda remind you like what was it, twenty nineteen when we had like Hawkman came up and yep. Ford came up, you know, with Billy McKinney and Willie Calhoun.
2: All the injuries, uh, yeah.
6: I'm I'm yep. kinda I'm I'm just impressed with what these kids can do, you know. And some of them aren't kids, they're like journeymen. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're performing for you, they're coming through in the clutch right now. So, you I, know, it's, listen, there's not who you want out there, but they they're producing right now.
6: Somebody's gotta do it. Yep. And then uh just a real quick, what is Giancarlo Stanton made of? Did you see him getting hit by the pitch that like would have been an infield single, the ball bounced off him so hard? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> and true. then uh I when my call was getting screened, I obviously you guys don't have the audio, but uh John Sterling is a national treasure. He gets hit with a foul ball in the broadcast booth and, and literally keeps calling the play. I oh, absolutely I, I just love the guy. Thanks for taking the call. Eric. All right,
2: Tommy. Thanks, thanks, thanks for the phone call. He, he's great. He's great. He, he's he's. I've known John for a long time, and he is he is a seamless. His transitions are seamless. That's that's what you really that's what you really like about him. I mean, he's, he can go through. <laughs> he could go. He he could be talking about a play, or a visit to a steakhouse. And right after he talks about that, the one, too. I, he's just French great. French, baguettes. He's, oh, he's fabulous. Fabulous. I remember when he did a talk show in this town. I was young enough to remember when John Sterling did a talk show. Can you imagine him doing a talk show? Oh, he was great. He was great. Oh, I'm very
4: fortunate. And um, and I've heard from people across the country, so it's very heartwarming.
2: And uh, You're welcome, John. And the other thing is uh, about Stanton. And, and when you saw that, the next thing that went through your mind was, oh, my God, I hope he's not hurt and he won't be out for another month. <laughs> That's the other thing that went through your mind. That's the other thing. Eddie's in Brooklyn. What's up, Eddie? Hey, how you doing, Larry?
1: Listen, I, I, you had a guy on the radio a little bit earlier trying to compare um, Julius Randle to Eli Manning when it's, yes. when it's really totally the, the opposite because Julius produced in the regular season, right? But so mm-hmm. don't show up for the playoffs. Eli might be mediocre during the regular season. If you look at the stats, you would be like, oh, this guy's killing me. But once you get Eli in the playoffs, you got a whole different animal. Right. You know what I'm saying? So right. I see that as a different thing. And that's why Eli is not going to the Hall of Fame because he has a great regular um, career. Eli going to the Hall of Fame because what got he has done in the playoffs when you get there. You know what yeah. I'm saying? That's, that's my opinion about that. So that dude is totally, totally. Like, well, that's what he was to trying do.
2: to say, Eddie. Thanks for the phone call. He was trying to compare them regular season. He was trying to compare Eli for the regular season and Julius Randle regular season. But for me, even some of Eli's regular seasons were better than Julius's regular seasons. And clearly, the postseason is there's no contest because he's got hardware. Buddha's in the Bronx. What's up, Buddha? Hey, um, what's going on, big bro? How
5: you doing? What's
2: happening, partner? I'm doing good, man. What's happening? Hey,
5: listen. You know, your Knicks conversation is always interesting. I just differ with you in terms of not what the situation is, but how they got to the situation. Mm-hmm. As far as Julius Randle goes, listen, I mean, bro, I, listen, his stats are hollow. And you heard when people were looking to, for trades with the Knicks in that middle of the season. Last year they wanted R.J. R- Barrett, and this year was quickly. I mean, I, he has no market. I mean, when you look at players in the league, and, and people want winning players, and it's really about mm-hmm. only about 10 or 15 of those guys that are right. true difference-makers in terms of winning. Now, I'll give you an example of a guy who was a great player, who had better stats than Julius Randle, and was be- an absolutely better player than him, T-Mac. But mm-hmm. he wasn't a winning player. You right. understand what I'm saying? He wasn't yes. a winning player. Right. When you look at Jokic, Jokic is doing stat-stuffing stuff. And stuff. Uh, same way Russell Westbrook was doing stat-stuffing stuff, but Jokic stat-stuffing stuff leads to winning. His passes lead to um, winning plays, not just, you know, um, stats of assists and things like that. So, you know, what, in terms of what the Knicks are going to have to do, you know, realistically, it's very simple. And, and if you look at it from outside looking in, you got to trade Obi Toppin. He has no future here. Mm-hmm. You know, he's never going to maximize any of his talent here. R.J. Barrett, when I look at, look at Michael Porter Jr., Michael Porter Jr. is a much better athlete than R.J. Barrett. He's a better shooter than him. But you can't tell me R.J. Barrett would disappear as much as, as Michael Porter Jr. has done. So right. simply, if R.J. Barrett was on a better team, like a team that was a contending team and he was allowed to be the third or the fourth wheel, there's a market for him out there. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that the Knicks are going to have to go. I mean, you know, I don't know if you can trade quickly because it depends on what you would get back. You have no backup point guard. You can't tell me McBride. These guys come in on my life. I want to see more McBride? But McBride is a Lilliputian, and uh, he plays good defense, but he has no offensive game. You can't have him as your backup point guard. So if you got rid of quickly, then now you not only you you um you cause another deficiency in your team. Yep. So if they were going to make a move, it would have to be for like a combo guard. A guard, I mean, I'm not saying that you could find a player of this caliber, but you look at a guy like Devin Booker. He can play the two or he can play the one. That's what the NBA is nowadays. Mm-hmm. Interchangeable pieces. So, you know, that's where they're going to have to go. Julius Randle, it's sad to say, um, he is the New York Knicks ankle bracelet. You can't get rid of him. Once mm-hmm. y'all gave him that money and once his game got exposed, not just one time in the playoffs, twice. I don't want to hear about the ankle or any of that other stuff. He is not a winning player. He passes the ball At the last moment, you understand what I'm talking about? He burns up the clock. I mean, you're stuck with him. You you really are. And they know that. If they could get rid of him, I'm telling you they would. It's not about they want to hold on to him. There's
2: no market for him. Well, Buddha, you're right. Thanks for the phone call. There doesn't appear to be a market for him. Uh, And once again, you know, you don't don't see it. Obi Toppin's name right now, Buddha, is probably the leading name that you see when you talk about Nick Rumors. His his name is in every trade with the Knicks. Every trade has Obi Toppin's name in it. Number one. And it's not even close. It's not even close. Every move, Obi Toppin's name is in it. Even 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 just for draft picks, I've seen Obi Toppin's name in it. And once again, I'm not going to... You know, it's, 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 it's hearsay. It's, it's, you know, it's just people, you know, different things that you see, okay? People you speak with, you know, Obi Toppin's name. There, Obi Toppin, I would be shocked if he's still with this team next year. Seriously, shocked, shocked. Because his name is in every, is in every move that you see. So Obi Toppin, Obi Toppin, Obi Toppin. Uh, next is Quickly and some RJ, but a lot of, OB, it's Obi and Picks. <laughs> that's the, that's the latest, that's the hottest group right now. Obi and Picks, hottest group in the NBA as far as moving. Jeff McNeil has gone deep. Mets with a 1-0 lead over Pittsburgh in the top of the fourth. By the way, Lawrence McCutcheon got his two thousands hit in the first inning off Cookie Carrasco in that game, but the Mets are leading 1-0 as they continue to bat in the top of the fourth inning. 1-800-919-3776. We'll come back, take more of your phone calls here on 9870 ESPN
0: cool with this is the Larry Hardesty show on 98.7 ESPN
2: we've had a lot of conversation today talking a to little Mets and Yankees uh, you know little, little Knicks little Jets and Giants uh, I'll give you some thoughts on the NBA Finals before we leave you uh, at 3 o'clock uh, because I think this is this is going to be <laughs> this could be it this could be it tomorrow night I still believe, though, that Miami Miami has one, maybe one, maybe one last push in them. Maybe I'll tell you why next. Newman's in the Big Apple. What's up, Newman? Newman. Hey, Larry. How are you? I'm doing good, my friend. What's happening?
3: I'm doing very well. Just uh, I would like to make a couple of points. One about the Knicks, and one mm-hmm. about the Jets and the Giants. The comparisons. Okay. The Jets and the Giants. Zach Wilson you compare him to Eli Manning, at the beginning were taken after the reigns of Kurt Warner. Those people were running for their lives with the offensive line with the Giants. The same thing happened with Zach Wilson. If general managers do not come across and prove that they are worthy of their jobs and, and reinforce the offensive line and give these guys those three, four seconds additional to what they have, they will never, ever capitalize to anything. The same thing will, goes with, uh, with with Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Now, the other side of it, the Knicks. Yeah. The Knicks don't... Fine, you could criticize Randall as much as you want. He needs that fourth guy. The fourth guy is Robinson. Robinson is not a good offensive player. He cannot step up for that 10, 12-foot jumper to make in order for him to release that that monster that would be protecting the, the the rim on the other end on the other side see the, you need somebody that's very 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 much of a free agent this year Brooke robinson Brooke lopez you need that kind of a guy that could step up and come off the bench and get you those 10 12 points and give you that those five six rebounds and take the the center of the other team off the off the block you know what hmm. i'm saying yeah so he have to, to say allow that. To allow the R.J. Barrett of the world to drive to the basket, to allow the, 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 the Brunsons to drive to the basket, to allow Randall to be freed and not to be ganged up on and, 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 and taken the, the ball away from him. And that's what I see. I see somebody, you need a center that's going to be a scoring center. Not necessarily to take over the game, but to relieve whoever is on the, on the block, whoever is mm-hmm. going to be driving towards the basket. All right,
2: Newman. I hear what you're saying. Thanks for the phone call. Let's take your last thing first. Um, But Julius shoots a lot of threes. So he's not really in the painted area. He needs to be in the painted area more. He shoots a lot of threes. The other thing with him is he needs to make a decision. I just think a part of the issue that he's got is because uh, Pittsburgh's just tied the game solo home run is because he doesn't make it. He He's trying to wait for the double team. Okay, sometimes that's okay. But other times, make a decision. Put the ball on the deck, make a move, and just go to the basket. Go to the basket. Make it easier on yourself. Some of this is him trying to dribble too much on the, on between the paint and the sideline. That's where he always gets caught. So I would rather him just make the quick move and go to the basket. I hear what you're saying about Mitchell Robinson, but they don't have, under this situation, they don't have Mitchell Robinson in there for his scoring. Mitchell Robinson is in there for defense and rebounding. That's all they ask of him. And while it would, your point is it would clear the lane, R.J. Barrett gets to the lane, gets to the basket when he puts his head down and drive, even with Robinson around. Robinson doesn't just stand in the lane. And yeah, I hear what you're saying about Lopez that would pull the center away. But once again, Lopez has got to hit a couple of threes for you to respect him to pull that center away. Right now, with the the way the Knicks are are set up, they don't they don't require, they don't want Robinson to do much. Their scores with that with that first unit are Brunson and RJ and Randall. It's really Brunson, Randall, RJ, and Grimes. The way it's set up right now. All those folks have score. All those folks are the priority scores over Mitchell Robinson. The first part, look. I don't know. And I kind of think what you're saying. I kind of get it. But in what world do we compare Eli Manning and Zach Wilson? I mean, As much struggles, and I know Eli Manning had struggles. Heck, his brother had struggles with 25 picks in his first year. But Eli Manning was a far better quarterback in college than Zach Wilson was. It's not even close. He played a far better caliber of teams than Zach Wilson did. It's not even close. And even though Eli Manning had to run for his life in the first couple of years with the giant offense, he made better decisions than Zach Wilson did. Eli Manning has never been benched. And I'm, I'm not talking benched. I'm talking about declared inactive twice in one season. Zach Wilson did last year. Eli Manning is a, Eli Manning is a future hall of famer. So we can't compare him to, we can't compare him to Julius Randle and we, Darn sure can't compare him to Eli Manning, even though this is the same sport. We can't. Even regular season, you can't. You can't. It's not it's it's not fair. You can't even put him in the same sentence with Eli Manning. Can't. Let's talk NBA Finals. So here's the caveat for me tomorrow night in thinking this is the this is the possible way there can be a game six. Now, I already picked the Denver in five. And I said I wouldn't be surprised if it went six. But I picked them in five. And not the gentleman sweep thing, but I just I knew that Miami, I respect their tenacity. I respect their ability defensively. I expect their physicality. And I respect what they've done during this run. And sometimes teams make runs in the postseason when you don't expect them to. I still believe that the three-point shooters from Miami are going to give them one really good game in Denver. So I think either Robinson or Vincent, Martin's been consistent, he's been okay, but Vincent, they've got nothing from, they get nothing from him the last game. Robinson, a little bit. Stroots, they got nothing from last game. And I think under this scenario, which is a scenario they thrive on, Miami does, they kind of they they have a chance to make it interesting because I think they will shoot better from three than they did in the past two games. The guys, their three point shooters, the guys that are on the bench, the guys who really bring this make this team what it is. In the last game, Bam out of the Bayou was awful. Bam was awful. He missed easy shots. He was just he he didn't get the job done. That hurts you. The three point shooting hurts you. Now, on the other side, you'll say, Larry, look what has happened with Denver. What Denver has been able to do in the last couple of games is they've been able to get contributions from their, I'll just talk bench now, from their bench, okay? In game three, it was Brown, the guard, who was, what, 15 points in 18 minutes or something like that? Last game, it was the other Brown, Bruce Brown, who got 21 points in 30 minutes, three of five from three, a couple assists, a steal, and a block. So it's been that bench that is surprised that you knew they were going to be, they were going to give you contributions, but not to that extent. Did you expect? The two Browns over the past couple of games to be so dominant, and once again, and Buddha kind of alluded to it. Michael Porter Jr. has been a has been a ghost offensively. He had eleven, his eleven points on four of ten uh, field goal shooting was a highlight for him in the series. He finally hit double figures. Okay, it's been, it's been Gordon. Gordon has been phenomenal the past couple of games by him hitting the boards. He's got seven, he had seven boards in game four, hitting the boards. And then not only hitting the boards, but pushing the basketball up to, to get Denver in the forecourt. So Miami has to wait to try to get their defense set up. I mean, 27 points he had in that game. Um, Murray was really off. Five of 17. He had a couple of big threes, but he was five of 17, had 16 points. He he really he he had a couple of made big shots and 12 assists. Okay, not bad. <laughs> I'll say that, not bad. So he did he beat you in different ways. They've not gotten anything from Kentavious Caldwell Pope, and they've not gotten anything from Michael Porter Jr. Excuse me, the consistency has been Jokic and Murray. It's just been all season. And to be fair, Miami lost this game in the fourth quarter. Okay? You cannot be down 10. Jokic goes to the the bench with five fouls. And he comes back, what, four, three, four minutes later? And you're down nine you gained one point in the time that he was on the bench in your building that may have been the reason one one of the reasons why the heat will end up going out in five but I still have a feeling that it's not going to be easy for Denver tomorrow night because I think Miami's bench is going to show up and hit some threes We'll continue the conversation here on 98.7 ESPN.
0: This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN.
2: So we continue our conversation on the NBA Finals Game 5. Let's hear from the coaches. We'll begin with uh, Mike Malone. Mike Malone, your team one win away from your first franchise NBA championship. What's your message to the team?
4: Just understand that we haven't done anything. You know, I, I told our guys the first thing I said, we're not celebrating. It's a good win. We've done our job, but we're not celebrating. Like we've done anything yet. We know we're going to have to go home, turn off the, the the TV, the radio, don't read the papers, don't listen to everybody telling you how great you are because we haven't done a damn thing yet. We have to win another game to be world champions.
2: All right, Eric Spolstra, what are you telling your team for game five? Everybody's already talking about it. Like, I've been in those games, game five. Those are not the easiest games. At home all we're focused on I told the guys feel whatever you want to feel tonight that's fine you probably shouldn't sleep anything tonight any amount of time I don't think anybody will we have an incredibly competitive group we've done everything the hard way and that's the way it's gonna have to be done right now again and all we're going to focus on is getting this thing back to the 305 get this thing back to Miami things can shift very quickly it's going to be a gnarly game in Denver built for the competitors that we have in our locker room and By the time we get on that plane, all we're thinking about is get this thing back to Miami. Translation, Miami's going to be very physical tomorrow night. Very physical. Because that's how they feel they have a chance to slow down Denver offensively. Is to be real physical with them. Is to make it hard, as they did for Jamal Murray to come off screens and have his ability to make baskets. They're going to make it very tough. It's going to be a very physical game. That's how Miami's going to play. And they're hoping that physicality, Bam on the Bayou and Jimmy Butler scoring 20s or 30s, and their three-point guys making shots, that's how they believe they can get it back to Miami. Because to them, if they get it back to Miami, now it's the tape playing for Denver. We were up 3-1. We didn't eliminate them in our building. We lost. We've already lost the game in Miami, Miami, and from Miami's standpoint, they've already beaten Denver. They stopped Denver's, uh, they stopped Denver's streak. So, you know, Denver, can you go back and win another game in Miami? You know, can you win a third game in Miami? I, I don't know. So that's his thought process. That's what that's what Spolster's thinking. Now the st- And then you get to a seventh game, it's anybody's series. Anything can happen in the game seven. So that's the right thought process to have. It's, it's we have to win game five. If we can get it back to Miami, our chances are even better. But we have to get it back to Miami. That's the thought process. For Mike Malone in Denver, we don't want to give them any more opportunities. We ended it tonight. It's over. Goodbye. See ya. <laughs> that's how you have to think. And that's why he's cautioning his team. Because remember his comments after their game two loss. He did not think that they were prepared to play. He said the starters were not prepared to play. And if you're Denver, you remember that. And all the all the conversation about are you should he have called out his team that way? What how are they going to respond? In today's, you know, in today's sports world, you can't really call out your players in the media like that. You could lose the team. You could do this. You could do that. They bounced back and they responded because they knew they didn't play well. They didn't play well on their own floor. Now the law of average would say to you they would do to win to lose a game. I mean, they hadn't lost a game since May, what March, on their home floor. Had lost. They were undefeated in the postseason, so they would do to lose a game. In, my, in Denver, I mean, let's be honest. But it was really how they played that was the concern for Malone. The the lack of communication on defense. I mean, we had we we talked about it. They were awful defensively. People were wide open, they didn't call the picks, they didn't call screens, they switched and the wrong two people went on one guy. It was awful. Now, games three and four, they made they look like a different team. So the question becomes, which team will we get tomorrow night? From Miami and Denver. And I think you get, as I mentioned, a very physical Miami team. I think you'll get the Miami team from game two. That's the Miami team I think you're going to get. A physical team and a team that really should try to push the basketball on Denver more than they do. I know they want to slow it down. I know they want to do some things. I know they want to they want to play it down. But I think they need to push the basketball a little bit on some occasions. That's what they should do. Push the basketball. Make it easy. Put the three-pointers in rhythm. Beat Denver's defense down the floor. And they've had success with the pick and roll. The one thing... I'm curious to see what Spolster will do with the zone. The zone has not worked for the past couple of games. I don't know if he can go back to the zone there. It just hasn't worked because Denver has made the adjustment. I will say this. From a coaching standpoint, both coaches have done a a pretty good job of making adjustments off each other because these are really good coaches. I mean, Spolster, we know. Spolster is a future Hall of Fame coach. Okay, he's got over 100 wins in the postseason I mean he's, he's he's fabulous and Malone is really good really really good and I think he had both of them have a great relationship with their players and so when we criticize Malone I think Malone he knew okay I don't criticize my team very often so when I do they know I'm serious. But even they had to look at the video. I mean, I gave you the stat a couple of days ago. They were 17. They showed clips of 17 defensive miscues and turnovers that led to over 40 Miami points. <sighs> That's crazy. That's crazy. That's why they lost game two. So I think it's going to be a uh, fascinating situation. To see how uh, these two teams play tomorrow night for Miami. Listen, it's win or go home. So when they when their backs are to the wall, they play physical, they play quick, they play they they're very aggressive from three. That's what Denver is going to see tomorrow night in Game Five and what might be the last NBA game until uh, the fall. So let's uh, go back to where we started, and we started this show talking about the New York Mets and the closed door meeting that they had on Friday night. That was a good thing because it helped them beat. I think the pirates five one yesterday. And even though they're trailing two one right now in the bottom of the fifth pirates have runners at first and second. Uh, we'll see what happens going forward. Because to me, that's going to be the, the tell the, 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 the telltale sign on how this team is going to move. You know that you're not going to have Alonzo for the next month. Okay. And you know that it's not. Okay. It's not that you lost seven games. It's how you've played in those games. And what's really surprising is, look, they came off playing well until they hit Toronto. Toronto threw them for a loop. They, they, they had the issue with Toronto. And then after that, they kind of were caught reeling. So my view for this team now is to see over the next, what, two weeks, three weeks, how does this team respond? How do they go forward from this closed-door meeting? Okay, that's, that's what I'm interested in. What happens going forward? All right, after today... They've got a couple of games against the New York Yankees. Yankees uh, will see Scherzer and Verlander Tuesday and Wednesday. Then the Mets go on the the Mets will host then the Mets are hosting the Yankees at Citi Field. Then the Cardinals come in for a weekend series, and then they go away. They're at Houston for three, and then they're at Philly for three, and then they're home for Milwaukee for four and for San Francisco for three before they travel to Arizona when we hit July. So they're, in a, they're coming into a stretch where you could say you're going to find out something about this team. The Yankees are kind of in the same position they are in a sense of the Yankees have their issues with the lineup. The Mets have their issues with starters. So that's kind of a wash there. St. Louis has been up and down. I would like to think that the Mets could take a, a series from St. Louis over the weekend. And I think they need to because I'm, I'm I have no confidence that they will be, uh, you know, they will do anything with Houston. I have no confidence. I mean, that's how good I, I that's how much I respect Houston. I just do. After that, they got Philly. That's a divisional game. And then, of course, Milwaukee, you know, Milwaukee's been good in in, in their division, but they're you know, they're OK. And then you've got the Giants. So. You've got some winnable games over this next stretch if indeed guys can find a way to turn it around. Carrasco today, listen, not bad. Only gave up two runs, but once again, it's the bottom of the fifth. So now, where does Buck Walter turn? How does he mix and match to try to get another 15 outs? That's the issue that the Mets starters have had this season that has put so much pressure on an average bullpen. That wraps up. This edition of the Larry Hardesty Show here on 9870 ESPN. We thank you for joining us on this Sunday. Ty Butler's next. Load them up, 1-800-919-3776. Ty will take your phone calls. He'll talk about the Mets and the Yankees, little NBA, little Knicks, little Lakers, little everything. Ty Butler will do that. Special thanks to Harvey and Joe for your great work. Thank you, guys. We'll see you on Tuesday night because Gordon and I step away, NBA Finals, Game 5, tomorrow night at 8.30, right here on 98.7 ESPN, following Dan Grazza. and we return for ESPN New York tonight on Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Special thanks to Rich Samini, who joined us talking about the New York Jets on ESPN.com. Ty Butler's next. You're listening to 98.7 ESPN New York. You're a bad person. Get him off the line, please. Get him out of here. Never call the show ever again.